Traditionally, this time of the year, thousands and thousands of children around the world write letters to Santa, and they write a letter to Santa, and they say, this is what I want for Christmas. Now, has anybody here written a letter to Santa this year? No one. Oh, one. Okay, good. Okay, do you want to tell us what you asked for? Yeah, no? Okay. Anybody else written a letter to Santa? All right, that's good, that's good. Well, if you are stuck for ideas, whether you're a kid or an adult and you're stuck for ideas, I'm here to help you out because uh, I've done a quick, quick little bit of research on the internet and found uh, some of the letters that children have written from around the world and their parents have shared them with the internet. So if you're stuck for ideas, you might want to have a look at some of these. This is one which I found. Dear Santa, we left you some milk and cake on the table. I hope you like them. Do you know what I want? I want a rugby ball, iPad, Lego, and a scooter. I've been very good this year. I picked up 12 piles of dog poo and made $6 from Michael. So, you know, perhaps Santa will reward his industriousness. I don't know. This person, dear Santa, what I want for Christmas is an order of fries, a computer, and a chicken nugget. Love from Jack. Maybe just one chicken nugget. I'm not sure. Dear Santa, how are you? Well, enough chit-chat. Let's get down to business. <laughs> this year I want a big Lego set, some jelly beans, an AK-47 assault rifle, any Nintendo game. Ryan. Yeah, I was surprised when I was typing that in, actually. Okay, all right. Dear Santa, if you're bringing presents with batteries, bring batteries. <laughs> Emma. That is one smart girl, isn't it? Okay. And uh, this one's probably a bit of a favourite. Dear Santa, there is only one thing I want for Christmas. Can you please bring Leonardo DiCaprio to my house because I think he's cute and I would like to meet him. <laughs> if you can do that, I would be so grateful from Sarah. Kids are kind of funny what they want for Christmas, isn't it? And I guess if you're an adult here this morning, you might have a different wish list. Perhaps you don't, or perhaps you do want Leonardo DiCaprio to come to your house. I don't know, but... Perhaps you um, are thinking a little bit more global, you know, you'd quite like a COVID-19 vaccine, or you'd quite like the international borders to open up so you can go and visit your family. Perhaps you're thinking a little bit more local, you know, you just want good weather for the holidays or maybe safe travels for wherever you're going. Perhaps you're thinking even more a bit personal, you know, you want some socks, you want some jocks, and you want some vouchers. But I guarantee that... This Christmas, all of us want a bit of peace and quiet, because 2020 has definitely been a tough year, right? It's been a tough year, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of challenges that we've had to cope with on a global, on a local, and on a personal level. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we've had, just had to, we've, we've been struggling with. And I think all of us want a little bit of peace this Christmas. We just want some rest, we just want a chance to relax and uh, kind of get away from some of those stresses of this year. And actually, this is great news because Christmas is a season of peace. So in Finland, uh, they have a, a pretty big deal about proclaiming peace at Christmas time. For the last 700 years, in the city of Turkic, <clears throat> they have uh, had this tradition where they call it the Declaration of Christmas Peace. So what happens is on the morning of the 24th of December, there's a, a big crowd gathers in the great square of the city, 
And you've got to remember, this is a big deal. Like, to get a big crowd together uh, in the middle of Finland in the end of December is quite a big deal. The average temperature is minus 10 degrees. Okay, so these people come out in the cold. There's some bands, there's some singing. And then at midday, a city official will get up on a balcony of this historic mansion and he will read out the Declaration of Peace. And so this is a big deal. It's televised across the nation of Finland. It is broadcast across the radio, and it's also live streamed on on the internet. And it's normally read in Swedish and Finnish. I'm going to read it to you in English, because my Swedish and my Finnish is not so great. Okay? So this is what uh, the city official reads. Tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Saviour. And thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time to all by advising devotion and to behave quietly and peacefully. He who violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behaviour shall be guilty and punished according to what the law prescribes for each and every offence. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to everyone in the city. (laughs) So this declaration has been going on since the 1300s, right, 700 years, and it dates back to when a ruler in the area, he wanted to ensure that Christmas time was peaceful, so he enforced a harsher punishment on anybody who committed a crime during the Christmas season. So here's my advice for you. If you are thinking of doing something illegal this Christmas season... Don't do it in Finland, okay? But I think the Declaration of Christmas Peace is just a really great way to usher in Christmas. It's actually a reminder to all the Finnish people about their attitudes and their activities at Christmas time. And as I was kind of thinking about it, I was just kind of imagining, imagine if Jacinda Ardern stood on the steps of the beehive on Christmas Eve and, you know, read out something similar to that. I mean, can you imagine that? (laughs) I couldn't. But I think that that's partly because marketing and materialism overshadows the real reason for the season. You know, that miracle of Jesus' birth often gets lost in the commercial hustle and the bustle. Actually, the first Christmas, God gave the world a glimpse of the peace that he offers. According to the Bible, God's one and only Son stepped out of eternity and entered into our humanity. And he humbled himself, and he was born on this earth so that he could walk among us, so that he could uh, share God's grace and truth with us, so that he could reveal God to us, so that he could bring us peace. In fact, several months before his birth, it was prophesied that Jesus would give light to those who sit in darkness and guide us to the path of peace. And what you've got to understand is this, This biblical concept of peace is much broader and much deeper than what we typically mean when we speak of peace. So when we speak of peace, we we normally think of the absence of conflict, right? When two nations are at war and they sign a a peace treaty. Or when the kids are playing together nicely instead of fighting. You know, they're obviously having a nice peaceful time. Or when we talk of peace, we sometimes think about just the absence of noise and distraction, like you've had a peaceful day in the garden or a peaceful day at the lake. But the biblical definition of peace is is far more expansive. 
So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word that is most commonly translated peace is the word shalom. And this is not just the absence of conflict or the absence of noise. This is fullness. This is wholeness. This is goodness. This is the blessing of God. Shalom is everything as it should be. And so... I'm not going to spend time unpacking that here with you this morning, but if you want to find out a little bit more about what Shalom looks like, then um, on our church Facebook page, there's a, a video put together by a group called The Bible Project, and they just give an excellent description of what those biblical authors meant when they wrote about peace. Because those biblical authors were trying to convey a really important truth. They wanted everybody to know that Jesus offers everyone the chance to experience peace with God. So when Jesus was a grown man, he restored the relationship that we had broken with sin. Our selfish and our rebellious acts had damaged this shalom with God. The way things were meant to be had been upended and disrupted. But Jesus made a way for that relationship to be restored, for that shalom to be repaired and rebuilt. He willingly sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could have peace with God. For everybody who believes and trusts in Jesus, they were offered the chance for peace. This is how one of the first Christians explained it. He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So since Jesus secured this peace with God, he kind of gave us a glimpse of what shalom looks like. That's why Jesus spent his time on the earth helping the hurting and feeding the hungry and comforting the broken, and healing the sick, and raising the dead, and loving the lonely and the least, and the last and the lost. Jesus gave us a glimpse of shalom, of what it meant to share in the blessing of God, for what it meant to, for things to be as they were meant to be. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, that is great. That's very lovely of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's kind of you. But what does that mean for me right now? You know, what does it actually look like for Jesus to offer us peace? I mean, how can he help me in the stress of Christmas right now, or even just the general busyness of life? Well, I'm pretty excited to give you some practical insights into the peace that Jesus offers. We're going to do that by um, having a special gift special guests come and join us. So if you could welcome Sue Webb to the stage, she's going to come up and share with us. Hi there, Sue. I'll just grab that microphone for you. Have a seat. So this is Sue. Um, and so you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll kind of track through some of your journey. So maybe just, yeah. Start off okay. and tell us who you are. I'm Sue Webb. I've been married to Eddie Webb for 42 years next February. Um, I've two adult children and five grandchildren, and they're the light of my life. <laughs> I love my kids. 
Um, I'm a registered nurse at Ranui mm -hmm. um, in aged care. I've been working there for 20 years, so I'm part of the furniture. Um, I used to do the job because it was a job, but now I love it, <laughs> which is a real big change. Yeah. And you, you know, those residents love you too, don't they? Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ones, the ones that I don't stick needles in, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ones that you don't force to take the medication or whatever, but that's cool. Okay, so you've got, you know, uh, a wide background, all sorts of different experiences and stuff, but you personally, you've had, and, you know, we've talked about this, you've had some challenges with mental health over the years, some struggles. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So do you want to kind of unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah. Okay, it was really strange how I learnt. You'd think being a nurse, I'd have known that, something was wrong, but I didn't. I went to an in-service at work about um, mental health, and the, the speaker was describing it, and I'm going, that's me. Oh, I can relate to that. And I thought, wow, perhaps, it, I'm, not, perhaps I'm not the nasty, horrible person I thought I was, because I was a grump, I was a real control freak, um, I didn't like people very much, which is a strange thing for a nurse to be like, but that was me. Um, I was very socially uncomfortable if I was in a group of more than three or four. I didn't like physical contact, and I think some of the people out there can um, relate to that because I'd say, don't hug me, keep <laughs> out of my space. Um, well, you know, you were ahead of your time, keeping the bubble, keeping the social distancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I didn't like me. I couldn't look in the mirror because I detested what I saw and I thought I was just such a horrible person that the world would be better off without me because I was not a nice person, I was not lovable. I don't know how my husband has put up with me for so long because I was really nasty to him. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> um, everything that could go wrong would go wrong. That is one of Murphy's laws and I truly believe that. I was just waiting for the worst thing to happen. And he's got another law that was um, the light at the end of the tunnel is the headlight of the oncoming train. And so frequently for me it was. Mm. Now, I met a girl at work, she was from Northern Ireland and she was our physio at work. And I don't know how she did it, but she led me to God. Mm -hmm. And I gave my heart to God and people said I changed, I couldn't see it. But, yeah, that's when that in-service happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that God kept me in the dark about my mental health until he was there to support me through it. Right. Because it's been a pretty long time. Like, you know, we can go back... <sighs> 20 years. years. Yeah, mm. yeah. And that's been... Actually longer than that, but it's yep. been 20 years that I've known about it. Yeah, yeah, mm. okay. And around that time, did you do an alpha course as well? Or was yeah, that, I did. Yep. Yeah. Was that helpful? Sort of, but it was too many people for me. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. I used to take the videos home and watch okay. them at home on my own. Yep, cool. Mm. Okay. So, obviously, with those mental health challenges, it was a real struggle. You know, there would have been days, perhaps weeks, when you were like, I don't even want to get out of bed. Oh, yeah, I used to get out of my bed, walk up to the lounge, get in my chair, wrap myself in a blanket and probably sit there all day. Yeah, and yeah. then head back and... Head back to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be seasons like that quite a long time? Oh, going for weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And so what was it like in the midst of that? Was it just one foot in front of the other? Like what got you through some of those times? Um, ridiculous as this might sound, my pussycats. <laughs> they, they would come, they'd know. And they would come and snuggle into me so strongly and, and give me lots of cuddles and loves. Mm. Um, I kept praying to God to help me. Yep. Um, and I know other people were praying for me. Now, I said to them, don't pray over me. I couldn't stand it, but pray for me. Because yep. um, I felt a bit like a cow that was stuck in a bog. Mm. And if you pulled on me, the rope would break me in half. Yep. That's how being prayed over felt. I just couldn't handle that. Yep. Um, my daughter um, has been a tremendous support to me. Um, and her having, and the grandkids. I had a great GP who kept saying, we will get through this. I still have her, she's a great GP. But she said, I can't do anything with your medication because it's beyond my scope. So you're going to see the psychiatrists. Um, the first one was a complete utter washout. The psychiatrist? Yes. Yeah, okay. I actually ended up giving him his pedigree in very basic terms and walking out and refusing to see him again. Yeah, but yeah, 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 that's good. Right. And then the second one was a lovely young man, except I did feel like I needed to pack his lunch and send him off to school. Um, but and did you do that or not? I told him. Okay, you told him, right. He came into the office and he shut the door and I said, open that, I'm not staying in the same room with a man I don't know, with the door shut. And he did. So when I went back to him the second time, he walked in and he shut the door and I said, that's alright, you're not bothering me today. Yeah. <laughs> um, the third one was, he, he moved, he went up to North Canterbury or somewhere to be up there and that was disappointing. The third one was... Um, he's a foreign gentleman, and he w I'd be sitting there talking to him, he'd be looking up there. And he never looked at me, and he wouldn't listen to me. So when my GP said to me this last episode, you need to go back to the psychiatrist, I said, I'm not going to go back and see that man. It's a complete and utter waste of time. She had written to him three and four times saying, she needs a medication change, and he'd say, no, no, she's all right, just leave her on that, or give her another one. But that was the thing, like, so after several years, you were just on bucket load of pills. Yeah, I was on one and a half times the maximum dosage. Which and wasn't helping. Which wasn't doing a thing for me, and it was creating awful side effects. My skin itched from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, um, and other things that we won't go into, but okay. that's right. And she said, there's a new psychiatrist out there and I'm going to try and get you into her. So she rang up and they said, oh no, you can't request who you see. Mm. And, I said, and I said, well, I'm not going to go and see the other fella. I just won't do it. And so she got me into this new lady. And so, that's where the changes started. So that was this year, right? That was this yeah. year in June. Because 2020 has been a tough year for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, you had had 20 years of toughness on and off, you know, up swing, and down. Swing, swing, yep. going from up here, yep. feeling high, and then thinking, uh-oh, know what's going to happen, and going right Crash down in the pits. Yep. One thing that was really hard to handle was I had a compulsion to commit suicide. 
It wasn't a desire. I did not want to die. I wanted to live for my grandchildren. But I had a compulsion that I needed to end it. And I was so scared that one time I wouldn't be able to beat that compulsion. Um, a couple of times I got in my car and I went for a drive looking for a big truck that was speeding that I could drive in front of. And God didn't put one there. Mm. I couldn't find a speeding truck and I tried. Um, but in amongst all that, I felt kind of let down by God because I'd given my heart to him, I thought. Mm -hmm. And then all this started and I thought, where's all this they talk about? The peace, the joy, the comfort, the happiness. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that. Um, and I thought, perhaps I didn't do it. Perhaps I just pretended to give my heart to God. I, I walked away from church for a while, um, and then Derek came out to me, came out and saw me and had a chat and convinced me to come back. You weren't all looking at me with a sign weirdo on my forehead, which I thought you were. Um, so I came back and, yeah, things improved. And then in this last episode, it was he started it. He did. He preached a session that I can't even remember what it was on now. Oh, it was probably my best ever. Yeah, so. probably. Um, but it, it really, I was sitting down there in my seat thinking, you've got a camera in my house. You know what's going on. Which I don't. Which he doesn't. Which he doesn't. And afterwards I spoke to him and I said, I've just been to my GP and I lied to her. She asked me how I was feeling and I said, absolutely fine. And I wasn't. I was anxious. I had this terrible knot here. I was frightened of everything. I was frightened of driving my car. I'd felt incompetent at work and terrified something was going to go wrong. Um, I was terribly lonely. And I just felt really, really bad. And he and Helen Louise were, I was talking to, and they said, go back to your GP and tell her the truth. And I walked into her office and she said, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> she knew. She knew I was lying to her. Um, and that's when things sort of took off. Right, so give us like a snapshot of what's been the turnaround for you this year. Okay. On the way over to see this new psychiatrist for the first time, I actually prayed to God and said to him, Lord, I'm giving you the control here. What you want for me, not what I want for me. And I could walk into this lady's office feeling a little bit at comfort, which is hard to do when your mind's in a in whirl. Mm. And she was wonderful. She sat down, she talked to me. She started off saying, call me Joe," which immediately made you feel comfortable. And we talked, and it was a 15-minute <clears throat> appointment that went for 40 minutes. <laughs> I felt very sorry for the people who were behind me. And she said to me, you need a change of medication. So she said, now look, it might take 10 different pills before we find the right one. Um, so be prepared for a long haul. The first one was the right one. Um, I had to go through two, three or four weeks of weaning off the old pill and starting on the new one at the same time. And they were tough because 
I felt so sick. <laughs> I really felt awful. And my husband came in one day and said, is this going to go on forever that it's making you feel like this? I said, I hope not. Well, the day I stopped the old pill and up the dose of the new one the next day, it was like a light turning on. I rung him up and I said, I feel wonderful. I don't feel sick. I feel happy. I feel contented. And um, yeah, and it it's gone on from there. It was. Yeah. It was just like that. Yeah. And it's been far more consistent and even, and I think probably coming back to you on that drive up there just saying, God, I can't control it anymore. It's up yeah. to you. Yeah, I've always been a control freak. And it was very hard to give away the control of this. Um, but he just, it was like he's been waiting for me to say, it's yours, God, you deal with it. I can't. And it's just been wonderful. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 4. This is one of the first Christians encouraging other Christians who are doing life pretty tough. And he says this, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, are you telling me that you've found that to be true in your life? I definitely have. So this peace that exceeds anything we can understand, what is that like for you now? Well, I've, since you gave me that question, I've been trying to describe it, and it's really hard. But the best thing I think I've come up with was, you know we get those horrible hoar frosts in the wintertime on those awful foggy days, and your husband comes home from mustering way up on the hill and says, I've been in the sun. <laughs> um, it's like one of those horrible cold days and you're feeling cold and you're feeling tired. So you run a nice hot bubble bath and you slide into it and you get this wonderful warmth and comfort and you just relax. And that's the best I can do. That's a good description, yeah? That's a good description. The, yeah, the ironic thing is we don't have a bath. <laughs> Right, so if anyone's got a bath available, <laughs> but uh, it's a, just, you know, that comfort, that deep sense of identity, of resting, of being um, captured and supported and cared for, yeah. is ultimately what you're saying, this is how And loved. Yeah. I just feel so much love from him. Yeah. yeah. So this next question, then I want to unpack this next line, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I mean, for you with you know, your mental health struggles over the years, what does that look like? Okay, my sadness has become joy, yep. which is something I very seldom feel, felt. All the fears, I'm still scared of heights. I do not go up ladders. Good. I don't like, I'm Good. all right going up, it's coming down is the problem. Um, has my fears become hope? Yeah, cool. My loneliness has become love and my despair's become peace. And I just feel like a completely new person. It's like I've been reborn. Wow. Um, as some of you can notice, I actually give people hugs now, <laughs> which I never did. Um, I'm not scared of you lot, <laughs> which I was. Um, I feel confident. I'm standing differently. All that weight on my shoulder mm. has gone. Mm. Um, I love my job now. Um, 
and I feel like I can do it. I can cope with the emergencies, which I always did. I just didn't feel like I did. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's a real turnaround day. Yeah. So Jesus said this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and, he and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you'll find rest for yourselves. I mean... It's true. It's so true. And I just want to say, if there's anyone out there who's struggling with mental health issues... Don't give up. Ask for help. And if the first person says to you, oh, get over it, pull yourself together, you'll be right, ignore them and ask someone else. Build a rapport with your GP. Let it all hang out. Warts and all. Tell her, tell her how you're feeling. It took 10 years of begging to be have my medication changed. And this new psychiatrist I'm seeing said to me, Wow, this has been wonderful. I wish I had what you have. And I said, well, you need a loving God. <laughs> I said, and I told her what I'd done. I said, on the way over here that first time, I prayed to him and asked him to give me what he wanted, not what I wanted. And he made you write the right prescription. And she looked at me and I said, it's true. <laughs> And then you made her lunch for her. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't no, I didn't. No, no. I did say to her, well, look, it's been great, and I hope I never have to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> but if I do, I know you'll help me. Yeah. And she's been hugely helpful. Yeah, she's been yeah. wonderful. But it's that whole network that you said, your family, your friends, church, yeah. and ultimately Jesus' comfort just on that deep down level, which is hard to explain. It's impossible to explain. But there aren't enough words for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, final question. Um, you happy for people to come and chat with you afterwards if, if, if that's something if they, they want to If they want to, yeah, give me five minutes. Yep, <laughs> yep. Just take some chill pill. <laughs> take awesome. a chill pill. Um, yeah, but no, I, I just can't stress enough the absolute difference in my entire life. I feel fantastic. I, I love my life and I love God and I keep saying, I just, it's... I just keep saying to him, thank you, God, I can't believe what you've done for me. It's mm. cool. Thank you, Sue, for coming and sharing with us. We really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but, um, <clears throat> you know, Sue's story, for me anyway, is really inspiring. I mean, her journey with Jesus has been remarkable, really, over a long period of time. And... I like the way that one of the first Christians put it. He said this, He himself is our peace. And so in Jesus, all the fullness and the completeness, the blessing of God, the shalom, the way that everything is meant to be, is able to be found. Now, Sue pointed out, and you'll know from your own experiences, that doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life. There is still a whole lot of tough stuff that will happen this side of heaven, but the beauty is that the essence of the Christmas story is that through the birth of God's Son, God offers us a glimpse of shalom, an opportunity to connect with Him, a taste of the way things are meant to be. And I think that, as Sue has shared, it's pretty inspiring when we line up with that. You know, just before his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus made this promise to his followers. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, 
whether you are somewhere on that track, maybe this Christmas, you're in the midst of all the busyness, all the tiredness of this year as it's been you know, weighing us down. Perhaps you're juggling a whole lot of responsibilities, or maybe you're just in a number of storms that you're trying to face. Remember this. In fact, my hope for you is that you'll find peace, and this won't just be the peace and quiet of, of a nap on Christmas Day, which will be nice. And not just the, the, the absence of conflict over Christmas dinner, which hopefully will be good, but real, deep, true, profound peace that is found in Jesus. Just like Sue and many others here and around the world have found that when they put their trust and their belief in Jesus, he gives them the peace that they desperately, desperately need. In fact, Jesus gives us the peace that exceeds anything we could ever understand. So if you want to talk to anybody, talk with myself, come and chat with Sue. There's got a prayer team over here in the corner. We would love to talk with you about the peace that Jesus offers. I want to leave you with this quote from a lady called Helen Steiner Rice. She was an American poet who lived during the 20th century. She wrote this, Peace on earth will come to stay when we live Christmas every day. Let's pray, shall we? God, we do acknowledge that Christmas is a very busy time and it's just refreshing to stop and pause this morning and remind ourselves of what Christmas is all about. We're grateful because that very first Christmas, uh, because of that first Christmas, we can know peace through your son Jesus. And just like that prophet foresaw 2,000 years ago, Jesus brings light to those in darkness and guides us on the path of peace.